First Peter chapter four. We got a, just a couple more weeks left. A couple more weeks left in First Peter. First Peter chapter four, verses one through 11. When you got it, say you got it, friends. All right, that was fast. Oh my. No? We're struggling a little bit. Neighbor, if you got it, help your friend. First Peter 4, verses 1 through 11. We'll start first with the reading of God's word. If you're able to, would you stand? This is what God has to say to us today through inspired words that Peter wrote down. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of their time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though in the flesh, the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever and ever. Amen. You can be seated. So in one day, there are 86,400 seconds. Stunning. I know. How would you spend those last seconds? What would you do? Leisha asked me earlier this morning what it would look like. And, you know, I'd hang out with my family. We might do some fun things that we didn't get the opportunity to, or that at the very least we didn't make time for. Here's some things that people said earlier this morning. If you knew that it was your last day on earth, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point out Craig for a moment. Day in church, prayer, and watching some football. Strong. It's a, it's a good option, right? It's not bad. Um, prayer, 
another one. Prayer family, friends, music, some time with his dog. Hold on to your seats and maybe some beer, okay? Um, One said working on my art near the ocean. I'm hoping that they're near a coastal city. Another one said on a magic carpet flying around. I don't think he understood the question. Um, Talking to my children about Jesus or telling as many people as I can about Jesus or loving on my friends and family and making sure they knew Jesus. We know how Jesus spent his, his last night. He sent... He spent it with a couple of guys that he loved for a couple of years. He served them dinner. He even sat at the table um, alongside someone that was going to betray him later on. And he washed their feet. Jesus talks about the birth pangs of the end throughout the Gospels. And regardless of where you land in this premillennialism, amillennialism, postmillennialism. Tim, what are those millennialisms talking about? It's okay. They matter. But what matters more is they all agree on one big thing, and that is the end is near. Tim, it's like, it's like 11.30 in the morning. I don't, I don't want to talk about that right now. They all share the same perspective as the New Testament authors do. And that is a central thrust of all their writing and all their preaching and praying and persevering is that time is short, eternity is long, and Jesus is coming. Christians, we know the story. We know how good that is for us. I'm not a hellfire and brimstone kind of guy. I I want you to hear what the day of the Lord sounds like, though. This is from Joel chapter 2. I'm going off script right now, so stick with me, okay? Okay. Joel chapter 2, it's all about the day of the Lord. It's all about the end being at hand. Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm and let the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming and it is near. It's a day of darkness and of gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness, there it spreads upon the mountains. So the the highest points of creation, all the way down to its deepest bottoms. There's never been anything like this before, and there will never, ever, ever be anything like this again. And fire devours before them. And behind them, flames of fire burn. And before them, people are in anguish and faces grow pale. 
the Lord utters his voice before his army, before his encampment in exceedingly great presence. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. And Joel ends this section with a very difficult question. Who could possibly endure? Time is short and eternity is long. And the day of the Lord is near. That's what Peter believed. That's what people who believe that Jesus really died and really rose again and really ascended believe. That it's hurling like a freight train towards us right now. And Peter wants us to be framed by a really heavy reality, friends. The life that you have is just way too important to squander. He's wrestling with us, asking us to steward everything that we have in our life, even our lives, for the sake of Jesus' fame. That's how he ends the passage, isn't it? So I'll give you the outline. If, if you're taking notes, the outline is this. What does it look like for us to live in light of that day coming, which is rescue for believers and scary for non-believers? He gives us five different things in the passage. Treasure God's word like the end is near. How do we live in light of the end being near? We also endure opposition like the end is near. We pray like the end of the world is near. We love like the end is near. We also serve the church. We serve brothers and sisters like the end is near. Go with me to verses one and two. He's telling us that we're to treasure God's will until the very end because the end is near. It says Jesus has suffered in his body, in his flesh, as a real human being, not a figment of our imagination. And as such, he says, Peter, Peter's telling us to arm ourselves with this mindset. He's saying literally get equipped. So, Call of Duty players, when you're about to play with friends, you have customized loadouts, right? And the different kinds of game types that you're playing, um, you might equip and have specializations for different types of game types. He's saying for this kind of game type that we're in right now, this situation that we're in, have the mind of Christ. Or parents, I'm sure, I'm not the, I hope I'm not the only one that's done this, where you grab a, a diaper bag and you think that it's full of diapers, but it's not. And you want to be a good dad and you want to take your one-year-old out to like play at a park or something like that. And she makes a mess and you don't have diapers. What a terrible time to be ill-equipped for that, right? What do you do? You drive 30 minutes and then take her home and it's a messy fiasco, isn't it? He's saying that we need to be equipped. Equipped with Jesus' mindset because Jesus came to make war. Jesus didn't come to make war against people, though. 
Jesus came to make war against principalities and powers. Jesus came to dethrone the reign of sin in people's life. And now we are subject to Jesus. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 2.22. Or earlier on, he says, we've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and moved into the kingdom of his glorious light. But that doesn't mean that the devil doesn't prowl around the earth seeking to devour us. We're getting to to 1 Peter 5, 8 very soon. And that's very violent language for people. So if, if Satan cannot deter, if he can't get us off track of following Jesus, he's very willing to take us out of the game. But even when we're tempted, we know that there isn't a better way of life. Our life in the body for the time that we have has been designed with one thing, and that is to live out God's design and will for our lives. New City Catechism, question six, it asks this, how can we glorify God? Answer. We glorify God by enjoying him and loving him and trusting him and obeying his will and his commandments and his law. We enjoy the things that he tells us to do. In our defense then, when the evil one comes or our flesh creeps up, to try to deter us from following Jesus, our defense or even offense is found in the gospel. The gospel announcement is this. You and I are separated from God because of our sin. But Jesus, when he died and rose again, he purchases new life and forgiveness for us. And we receive this not through working really hard or our obedience, Obedience or desiring to do the things that God calls us to do, that's an outworking of the gospel in our life. When we receive from the Lord through trust and repentance, a desire that says, I don't want to go my old life anymore. God does a work in us. He changes us. It's miraculous. He changes our heart to love the things that he loves Jesus begins to heal the forgiven image bearer and calls them to training and discipleship and following him. And that's learning how to treasure what God desires for us. When we read the word, we store it up in the bank vault of our heart so that when he calls us to a particular task, the duty of it doesn't become drudgery. Instead, it becomes delight for us. And training for God's kingdom becomes a treasure for us. Treasuring God's word will lead to enduring opposition. Look, look down a little bit at verses three through six. But the time has passed that has passed, that is passed, suffices for doing what the Gentiles or, or non-believers specifically, what they do. 
And he gives a whole list of things. With respect to this, they're not surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery. Henry David Thoreau, he said that most men live quiet lives of desperation. You heard that phrase a time or two before? What was he getting at when he said that? Most men are locked down in a life that they don't want to live. And he's saying if only they could actualize like the dreams of their heart, they would feel better or they would be better. He's saying that if only they could chart their course and if only they can make the most of their life on their terms, that desperation would melt away. Peter pushes back hard against Thoreau. He's not helpful here. He's saying that the life of the Christian, you can expect pushback and people mocking and not enjoying your presence because you follow Jesus in your life. Your character is so different. The change in the believer's behavior will be noticeable to people around them. They're going to say, you ain't like us anymore. Peter gives the reason why we ain't like that though. And this is where the real weightiness of the passage comes in. Do you see that? Look at verse five. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is ready. He's capable. It's not that he enjoys it, but it's a necessary thing. He has to because he's just and holy. And the only reason he hasn't come back yet to judge the living and the dead is because of his patience and mercy. But one day people will give an account for how they live their lives. People in here will give an account for how they live their lives. Your mom and your dad, as sweet and kind as they were, they will give an account, right? Certainly people that hit the club or watch illicit material constantly or worship their jobs or their ministries or their families they're, they're separated from him now because they haven't received forgiveness from Jesus. But there will be a day when they won't be able to anymore. The reason why we are different though is because we know that there is a day coming where we will be held accountable too. And we're gonna be celebrated and congratulated and welcomed home for faithfulness. Do you know that? Jesus welcomes us home. It means that we win, that his victory that he purchased for us in conquering sin and the spirit's power active in your life carries you through day by day. For the believer, there is no quiet desperation. There is no loss worth altering our life for. For. 
Because the thing that drives us is the fact that Jesus is coming. That the end is in sight. One day Jesus is going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. So you don't stop. You don't quit. You keep going, knowing that he's around the corner. So we can love and cherish God's will for our life and we can continue in pushing forward because the end is near. He also says, verse seven, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. That's another sobering statement. It should make us take pause for a moment, shouldn't it? This should bring sobriety and clarity to us. Why? He's saying we're not like other people. Again, and so we're not pulled all over the place by our fears, our idolatries, or jobs, or meaningless obligations. The return of Jesus helps us manage our expectations in this life. We've got tons of examples throughout the Bible of people that were not sober-minded and not self-controlled, that even though when God offered them a promise, they kind of like try to cobble something together and like, ta-da, you did it, God. Saul's a tragic example of that. God answered the prayers of Israel by giving them a king, and the king was selfish. The prophet Samuel came to him and said, just wait for me after this battle. Wait for me. Don't offer sacrifice yet. What does Saul go and do? He gets impatient. He doesn't think Samuel's keeping his word. He goes ahead and does it anyway. And that spells the beginning of the end for the guy. So Peter's telling us, to be disciplined and sober-minded because it engages and encourages, it strengthens prayer. Tim Keller said this about prayer, the infallible test of spiritual integrity is your private prayer life. And so how should we think of prayer then? Someone has said that prayer is a cry of dependence and relationship about God. Someone else, someone that preaches way better than I do, John Piper, he said, prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie to receive help and strength when we're in the throes of difficulty and despair. Prayer is a way for us to take hold of God like the woman that grabbed a hold of Jesus' clothes. Prayer is an exercise of faith for us, asking and believing and receiving from God what he desires to give us for that day. Because the end is near, we don't have to be like Abraham and Sarah and worried and scared. We can be disciplined we can have clarity of mind. We don't have to be like Saul. Instead, we might say a different way. Peter's saying, chill out and pray. 
and we pray like Jesus taught us to pray. Give me my daily bread, please, and forgive me when I fail as I forgive those that fail and offend me. Jesus, I pray that your kingdom would come and that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray, come Lord Jesus, come. We pray like the end is near. We also love like the end is near. Look at verse eight. What's he say in verse eight? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Peter keeps using these two different forms of love throughout the book of First Peter. Brotherly love, preferential love, family love. And then the kind of love that he's using here is that divine picture of love. It's this kind of love that Jesus has for us when we fail and offend him. It covers over a multitude of sin. Literally, it means to hide the offense. Would you believe it that there are some things that are good to reveal? Gender reveals are great, folks. Keep on doing them. There's nothing wrong with it. Or if you're an artist, keep revealing your work after it's finished. Aaron, your, your work is great. I see you. There are things that just don't need to be revealed though, right? If you're an illusionist, you break the trick, you break the hold, the spell, so to speak, right? When you tell people about how you did the thing, don't tell me how you did the thing. I don't wanna know. I wanna be five-year-old Tim when you're pulling quarters out from behind my ears. Keep that hidden. We should also work hard, though, to cover over the failures of other people, but it only works when we love. When we are painfully for the church. We're not going to be caught up in the same things that the world is. That's what Peter's saying. He's saying we are very much different. We're not caught in the same debauchery that they are, but he knows that when we get a whole bunch of sinners together, that are singing some songs sometimes and serving alongside each other sometimes, even hearing the Bible, bad things can happen. We're gonna fail. And we need something that brings together, that mends, that heals. What doesn't cover our offenses and sin though? A hardened heart does not. A competitive heart does not. A proud heart doesn't. A hurt heart that doesn't seek healing does not cover a multitude of sin. One of them, whenever I prep for Sunday mornings, um, step one, copy and paste it from like a Bible program or something like that onto a word, a word document. And then I read over it a little bit. Step two is I start praying about the, the passage. And the first prayer that I read is, God, this, this must be real in me before I can talk about it. 
I'd like to think that I'm pretty loving. I'm pretty gentle. I'm pretty understanding. Um, but sometimes I'm just like, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just too sensitive sometimes. Full disclosure. Any other sometimes sensitive people here? Yeah. Sometimes I can be angry for no good reason. And in a, in a moment of humility, maybe humiliation. This past week, there, there have been a couple of people that I've had to just go to and talk with about how I've been foolish. Uh, one is my wife. We got into a tiff. Don't ask her about it. Watch this, though. You wouldn't have heard anything about it because she loves me. And love covers a multitude of sin. I didn't realize that I was praying that so that I could receive grace from her, right? I want to be one that extends grace. That feels much better. But here's the good news for those that fail, that aren't always gentle, that sometimes get unjustifiably angry or just way too sensitive sometimes. Jesus has grace for you too. He's merciful and kind to you too. And the, the forgiveness that other believers like give to me and give to you is supplied to them by a Savior that already bled and died. And Jesus covers us. Jesus covers you with an everlasting patient love. Where even the most radical offenses and hurts can be covered. And this is what makes the church radically different. That we're able to go to one another and love in such a way that there can exist between two groups of people, two individuals, that God can mend even the most broken relationships. Even here. So Peter's telling us in light of a new day coming that we love better than any other group of people on the planet. Because Jesus has supplied us with grace and mercy and love. Finally, serving the church like the end is near. Serving the church like the end is near. You notice how these gifts are given, right? And they're not they're not directed as, as someone that has a particular gift. They don't have this like bend. They don't boomerang back around towards the person that has the gift. In other words, people that have a gift of serving are not serving for their own sake. People that have the gift of hospitality, for example, that was crucial and critical when Peter was talking about this because there were tons of traveling evangelists and missionaries. Peter is urging the church to serve each other cheerfully and charitably as God gives strength. Jeff Jackson, he came, he preached at the men's conference yesterday and his passage was was Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
Therefore, my brothers, therefore, in light of hearing the gospel, right? Therefore, I urge you, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. He asks the question in terms of how we offer ourselves to God, and it's perfectly applicable to here too. What if instead of coming to service on Sunday mornings, or Wednesday nights, or whenever we gather, or all the programs that we have going on, what if instead of coming to receive on Sunday mornings, we came with the expectation to give? What if instead of expecting what's in it for me, what if we asked how can we come and serve with the whole scope of gifts that are available here? The focus is not personal achievement or self-satisfaction, consumerism. Our gifts were given with one particular focus, and that is for your good and for your building up and your encouragement and for God to be made famous. Jesus has enlisted us to be investment bankers for the kingdom. Every gift and every talent that you and I have is to be pushed forward for the sake and the expansion of the kingdom in people's hearts so that we might grow in affection and love in him more and more. Fruit is godliness. And fruit is putting a dent in the darkness and Hazelwood to good works. And so Peter is calling us to have a game plan right now. What would you do on your final day? Would you do one of these? Would God call you to do all five of these things? What would it look like for you on your last day to love the church? Would serving the church be in like your top 20 priority list? Peter would ask you, call you to love the church in such a way. We live in light of not present trials or circumstances, but we live in light of eternity. And this is how we make the most out of the fleeting moments of our life. Treasure God's word. Treasure God's will. Endure. Pray. Be committed and love well. And give them the very best of your gifts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Peter. And thank you for the challenge and encouragement that you give to us to live in light of eternity, to live in light of the day that you come and return for us, to rescue us once and for all, finally. Father, I pray for anyone in here who might have difficulty treasuring your word and your commands, your expectations, and they see them as heavy. Father, I pray that you would help them see that through the gospel, everything that you call us to is a delight. Would you shape their heart in such a way to love your will? Plenty of others, you call us to serve 
Father, today, help us see how we fit and where we can fit and how we can use our gifts. I pray that you would prompt some Holy Spirit curiosity in their heart today, asking them, how do you want to serve? How have I equipped you to serve? Pray for those that are having difficulty right now with loving people well, specifically with wanting to cover over offenses. I pray that you would bring healing to their hearts so that they can and remind them of how quick you are to cover over our own offenses and weaknesses too. Give us strength to endure today. Help us relish in the joy of prayer and meeting you there. Father, we love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.